I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. When I grew up, uh, middle school, high school, college, even into the uh, early part of my marriage, it was the Michael Jordan era. Last Dance, anybody watch The Last Dance out there? How awesome was that? I felt like I relived my, my growing up years. I was a big Michael Jordan fan. I was the, the kid who had, like my room was just completely covered, wall to wall, Michael Jordan posters. My dorm room in college, Michael Jordan posters. Um, I don't know how it happened, but my wife could never quite figure out the best place to put my Michael Jordan posters in our homes. So as I was thinking about this, I don't even think I've seen those posters in a while. But Michael Jordan was just, he's just iconic. And uh, it was one of those people that, uh, he was just one of the most recognizable athletes ever. And part of that was because not only uh, was he a a great athlete, uh, but he was also a great endorser of products. I mean, he made way more money out there endorsing products uh, than he did playing basketball. And one of his kind of signature uh, endorsements was with Gatorade. And if you kind of remember back to the time, there was kind of a slogan around that that was like, I want to be like Mike. I want to be, want to be like Mike. I want to be like Mike. Well, let me tell you this. You can buy the shoes. You can buy the sweats. You can buy the wristbands. You can even stick your tongue out when you're driving the ball to the basket and drink all the Gatorade that you want. I never became Michael Jordan. The The bar was just too high. Well, last week, I'm sitting out there listening to Jim Kena preach on the very beginning of Philippians chapter two, and he's telling me that Jesus invites us to be like him. So not only have have I failed at becoming Michael Jordan, now he's trying to tell me I need to be like the God of the universe come here to earth. The bar seems awfully high. But that's the invitation of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. And that disciple, it can kind of be a, a churchy word, but the word disciple simply means learner. That means that I walk behind Jesus, looking at what he does, and I learn to live the kind of life that Jesus lived. Dallas Willard, the great theologian, said this. He said, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Pretty high bar. 
But from the very beginning of this book of Philippians that we're walking through in our Rediscovering Joy series, at the very beginning, verse six, Paul just says that he is full of joy and he is confident. And this is what he's confident in, is that the God who began a good work in this church in Philippi, in the believers there, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is at work in our life and discipleship, becoming like him is the work that God is about. He wants to be at work in our life. I was thinking about a picture of this. Uh, If you ever are downtown, you probably know that there's a big renovation project happening at the old U.S. Bank. That's what it used to look like a handful of years ago. But this is what is in the mind of the people. This is what it used to look like. And that's what they are doing right now. They're restoring and renovating this to where it was. And this is how they're doing it. They built this amazing scaffolding all the way around the outside of that building. And day by day, brick by brick, they are restoring it. And here's the most recent picture. Just last week, I took a, a, a picture and the scaffolding is starting to come down and you're starting to see what was intended. That's the picture of what God wants to do in our life. Jesus wants us to allow God to put up a scaffolding around our life. And then through a relationship with him, through a dialogue with him, engaging with him, asking him, God, what do you want to work on in my life? He continues to do that and the scaffolding starts to come down and what happens is over time, and it's not fast, but we start to see a life that looks more and more like Jesus. We are becoming into his image. But here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about God doesn't have just like one image of a follower of Jesus. He's not just like cookie cutter, banging this out, trying to make all of us all the exact same. Every one of you is absolutely unique. And what God wants to do in your life is absolutely unique. That's why I love Dallas Willard's definition that discipleship is becoming who Jesus would be, whom you would be if Jesus was you that we would be like him. Think about this as well. No two fingerprints are alike. God is completely unique in how he made every one of us. And take it even one step further. There are not two snowflakes that are exactly the same. And then think about this. Think about the reality that God could make a snowflake that lands in my driveway and a snowflake that lands on the top of Bridger the exact same, and nobody would catch him. He could cheat, and we wouldn't even know it, but God can't even bring himself to make two snowflakes the same. He's not gonna make two people the same, but he wants more than anything to engage with you in becoming who he has uniquely created you to be. But it takes some work on our part, and the the question I think we've gotta ask is how? God, how do you want to do that in my life? If you want me to be made into the image of Jesus, and like Jim said last week, that we're to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus in his humble servanthood, this is what it's gonna look like. And Paul's gonna explain to us, here's what we do. He's gonna talk about the process of growth, that there's a part that we play in it, and there's a part that God plays in it. There is a picture of growth. What is it that we're gonna actually start to see in our life? And what Paul's gonna say is, he's actually gonna talk to us about what we shouldn't see in our life. And the last thing he's gonna talk about, the product of growth, meaning the results. Like if we grow 
and become more like Jesus, what is that going to mean for our life and the world around us? We're going to start out talking about the process of growth. Here's where Paul starts, picking up where Jim left off in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Here's a little Bible study tip for you. As you're reading your Bible, there's words that you look for. And one of those key words is what Paul starts with here. It's the word, therefore. And whenever you see the word, therefore, there needs to be a question that comes to your mind every time. You ask yourself this, what is the therefore, therefore? What is the therefore, therefore? Because it's an important word, because it is a connecting word. And that's why I had to start with where Jim left off last week. Because in light of what it means to imitate who Jesus was, Paul is saying, therefore, this is what you do. And he gives us this command to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's our work. We work out our salvation. But here's what we need to understand about the book of Philippians and who Paul's writing to. He's writing to a group of believers. These are authentic, genuine followers of Jesus, moving toward becoming all in. And Paul is absolutely confident that the one who began that good work in them is gonna carry it out until completion. So here's what we need to understand. Paul is saying that we work out our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. And when I say work for our salvation, I'm talking about clawing and grabbing and striving, trying to get something. Paul understands they already have salvation. But here's what we need to understand. There's ways that that word salvation is used all across the Bible. And so I want to help you understand that the word salvation is a really broad term. And there's a past tense idea about salvation. There's a present tense idea about salvation. And there's a future tense idea about salvation. And the word that we use biblically when we're talking about the past tense idea of like when we first come to faith in Christ, it's the word called justification. And here's what that means. It says that we, have, we are saved immediately from the penalty of sin. When we step into a relationship with Jesus, sometimes we talk about crossing that line of faith. When we bow our knee and we say, Jesus, you are my king. I trust you with everything. I trust you with my life. What the Bible tells us is at that moment, all of our sin is forgiven, past, present, and future. We step into a relationship. We become a child of God and nothing is ever gonna be able to take that away from us. We are free from the penalty of sin. But then there's a present tense idea that we talk about with salvation. And it's a word that we use that's sanctification or to be sanctified. And what that means is that we are saved progressively from the power and the practice of sin. That means that our life starts to change over time. When you step into a relationship with Jesus, you don't immediately become a model of perfection. But what Paul is saying is that we do become a model of progression. Our life starts to change from the inside out. 
We start to say yes to God. We say no to sin. We choose to follow him. And this is why, and, and I, I hope you get sick of this, us saying this, because we say it enough, is that we talk about next steps around here. And you know why we talk about next steps? Is because that's what sanctification is. It's us listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and him saying to us, this is your next step to become more like me. And this is your next step. It's this progressive sanctification that goes on and on and on. For how long? Until you meet Jesus. Until he either he comes back here or you go to be with him. You're going to be taking next steps. And the last piece of salvation is a future tense idea of salvation. And sometimes biblically the word is used glorification. And that's when we are saved ultimately from the presence of sin. When we die, when we take our last breath, we shed our flesh. We shed the brokenness of this world and we shed sin behind us and we get to be with him. New bodies, new creation with him forever. That's the idea of glorification. So I wanna come back with those three ideas, past, present, and future. What Paul is talking about right here when he's talking about work out your salvation, he is talking about that sanctification process that we take practical steps and we do that moment by moment throughout the day. And we do that day by day throughout our entire life until we meet Jesus. But then Paul says something that I find really, really interesting. He talks about what, what is like our posture as we work out our salvation. And he says it so boldly, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We work our salvation with fear and trembling. When I read Paul, friends, it just tells me that what he wants us to understand is there is nothing casual about what God wants to do in our life. Our call to be obedient and to follow him, whatever it is that he asks us to do. It's not just a divine suggestion. Our holiness matters to him. Our obedience matters to him. And I've got to just say that we, we can't have this picture of Jesus that makes him into some kind of a teddy bear or some kind of a kitten. He loves us. He is full of grace, but he is a lion. He is the lion of Judah. And friends, we have no business doing anything to try to domesticate him. Just think about some of the interactions that he had with those close disciples. I think about that picture of them when they were in the boat and the waves were pounding the boat, and they were so afraid. And then Jesus, just with his voice, his power and authority said to the wind and the waves, hush, be still, and it was silent. What did the disciples do? Were they just like, whoa, Jesus, right on, high five. No, they were terrified again, not because of the wind and the waves. They were terrified because he ripped open a piece of heaven and they got to see into the reality of his power and authority. And they were terrified and they said, what kind of a man is this? Who are we dealing with? They realized he was a lion. There was fear and trembling. Think about Paul who wrote this letter that we're reading. He was writing on a horse to Damascus, 
bright light, knocked on his back, blinded, and the voice of Jesus from heaven says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? Terrified. Paul understands who he's dealing with. This is the Lord of the universe. This is the creator. Jesus is the one who spoke and created everything that we know to exist. And he is the one that holds everything together. The only reason that I get to take my next breath up here is because Jesus allows it to happen. Yes, Jesus loves us. Yes, his grace is immense. But he is a powerful and authoritative person and our obedience matters. I was just thinking about a friend. I have lots of friends that are involved in law enforcement. I'm so grateful for them. And one of my friends, Joe Swanson, uh, a handful of weeks ago, took me down and gave me a, a tour of the new public safety center. And it was just amazing to see that. But as, as I was walking through that with him and kind of seeing Joe do what he does, it kind of dawned on me, most of my life with Joe is just at friends. He sits right here in the front and we're, we're friends. We do things together. He loves me. He's one of those guys that I would call, if, if, if I needed help, I would call him and Joe would be there for me. But as I was kind of behind the scenes looking at what he is in charge of and the things that they're doing in and around there, I just started to realize this is someone who has real power and authority. The city of Bozeman gives him a badge, authority. The city of Bozeman gives him a gun, power. And here's what I had to think. Joe loves me, but if I decide that I don't wanna obey the laws, Joe can bring the heat in my life if he wants to. Friends, that's how we have to think about Jesus. Yes, he loves us. Yes, he wants to help us. Yes, he wants to be with us and comfort us. But he has power and authority. Obedience matters, and he can bring the heat in our life if he wants to. Let's don't tame who Jesus really is. Back in the early 2000s, there was this T-shirt that became really popular, and there were lots of celebrities that were wearing this T-shirt, and this is what it said. And if you have this T-shirt, I'm just gonna apologize right now. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But I always used to just be bothered by this T-shirt. Jesus is my homeboy. Now, I am imagining what they were wanting to communicate was like a closeness to him. But every time I see that, I wanna just say, Jesus is not my homeboy. Jesus is my king. I am surrendered to him. That's what Paul wants us to understand. Obedience matters. We need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's our part. But do we do this all on our own? Is it just like on us? Like, oh man, I gotta grind this out. I gotta grip my teeth. I've gotta try to figure out how to do this over and over, striving and striving. No, that's the beauty because God wants us to understand that there's his part. God works with us. This is how Paul continues, verse 13. He says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. God works in us. When I talked about us taking that step of faith into a relationship with him, one of the things that the Bible helps us understand that is true is that at that moment, God's Holy Spirit comes to indwell 
the life of every true believer. God's presence with us, to walk with us. Becoming like Jesus, let me just say this. It's not difficult. It's actually impossible on your own. The only way that we can ever do what Paul is asking us to do is not by grabbing or striving, but by allowing Jesus to live his life through us in the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit because it's the Spirit that gives us the desire and the power to do the things that God wants us to do. It's that Spirit living in us that gives us those nudges, those promptings, those whispers to say, this is what I wanna do in your life. This is what I'm asking you to do. This is the next step that you need to take. It's that Holy Spirit that wants to comfort us when we need comforting. It's the Holy Spirit that wants to give us guidance when we don't know which way to go. And so what we do if we want to change, if we want to grow the way that Paul is talking about here, what it means is that when we hear those promptings, we simply say, yes. Yes, Lord Jesus, you're the king. You are the power and the authority and whatever you ask me to do, I say yes. And I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but after this series, we're gonna do a series just on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And how is it that we grow in our ability to hear and respond to the voice of the Spirit in our life? But this growth that Paul's talking about, this keep being carried on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, there's no shortcuts in it. It's step by step, moment by moment, what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. We don't just suddenly become a model of perfection, but God calls us to be a model of progression. But then Paul, when I was reading this, it, at first it kind of felt like he was taking a little bit of a left turn because he starts to talk about what does it look like? What will it start to look like in your life when your life starts to change? But actually what he says is something that your life won't look like in the picture of growth. Because when we start to grow, it changes our attitude and our actions. Here's what we shouldn't see. Verse 14. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Isn't that interesting? It was so interesting to me that of all the things that Paul could have picked out as kind of a litmus test of What's happening or not happening in the life of a person that is growing in Christ, he picks this idea of growing, of grumbling and arguing. Do you grumble and argue? Do you do everything without grumbling or arguing? Do everything. That means that there's, there's no part of your life. This covers everything. There's no part of your life where there should be grumbling or arguing. That means in how you live your life at home. That means in how you live your life at work. That means how you live your life at school, how you live your life at church, and in all of your big relationships in life, your marriages, your families, your parenting, your friendships, your ministry in your church. Do you do that without grumbling or complaining? And here was the question that I've just been wrestling with in my own life this week in preparation for this is what's coming out of my mouth? And here's what's interesting here is he uses the word grumbling, which kind of the way we might translate it as well would be like murmuring. So it's not even just what's coming out of our mouth. It's just kind of what's even under our breath. 
the things that are coming out of our heart. But Jesus says it's out of our heart that our mouth speaks. What are the things that are coming out of my mouth? It's amazing to reflect and just see how much grumbling and murmuring and complaining and arguing can come out of my heart. And here's why I think this is so important and why Paul grabs a hold of this. Because a heart that is spewing those things is the antithesis of joy. It is a heart that is full of discontent and discord. Have you ever been around those kind of people? They're just always murmuring and complaining. We all have. We've all been around those people. And you know what else we've been? We've also been those people. Every one of us have been those people in all the places where we live our life. But Paul's saying, stop it. And here's what, here's what was kind of crazy for me, just like thinking of all the things that Paul could pick that would discredit us in terms of our growing in our relationship with him, that he would pick grumbling. Like, wouldn't there be some bigger issues than that? Like, come on, Paul. I mean, grumbling, is it really that big of a deal? And I was thinking back to a section of scripture where Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. And what he was doing was he was trying to explain to them about Israel's history and the things that the nation of Israel did that brought the wrath of God on them. And he talked about maybe what I would think would be bigger things like idolatry, like, like loving something and worshiping something other than God. He talked about sexual immorality, like us living our sexual life outside of the context of the confines of what God has for us. But here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, right in that list, idolatry, sexual immorality, verse 10 of chapter 10, he says this, and do not grumble as some of them did, talking about the nation of Israel. And here's what happened, and were killed by the destroying angel. Big deal to God. Just because maybe we don't think it's a big deal, We've got to understand it is a big deal to God. Friends, we've got to take inventory in our life. You've got to start to look at your heart. I need to look at my heart and begin to ask myself, what are the things that are coming out of my mouth? And here's what I believe to be true as well. We've got to learn to help each other. We've got to learn to hold the mirror up to one another when we see grumbling, murmuring, complaining, arguing in each other. Now, it doesn't have to be that, like, you're arguing. We don't, we don't want to be that person. But if, but if it matters to us that we grow and we help each other grow, we've got to be a sounding board and a mirror to reflect back what is happening. We need to be a group of people that we don't just sit back and complain and murmur about people, but we actually move toward people and talk to them because there's no greater joy stealer than grumblers and complainers. It's always interesting. Uh, over a number of years, you just have lots of opportunities to be a part of people's lives that come and join Journey Church. And there's so many times they want to just communicate some of the things that they love about Journey Church, things that this is great, this is great, we love it, we feel like we belong, it's, it's the greatest thing. But there have been many times over the years that people will say something like that and then the very next thing that comes out of their mouth is they start to talk about their old church. Murmur, 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 grumble, grumble, complain. And I tell you, everything in me just goes, 
oh no, here we go. Because here's what I know to be true. If you stay around here long enough, we will disappoint you. If you stay around here long enough, I will personally disappoint you in some way. And you know what? You'll probably disappoint me. There's gonna be reason. I will give you reason to grumble and complain, but that can't be how we engage with one another. We don't grumble and complain about people. We talk to people. We engage with one another. And here's why. Paul tries to explain to us why this matters so much to God because it's, it's not just about your personal life. It's not just about our church. It's about the mission of God in the world. And if we don't get this right, our ministry, our influence in the world is tarnished. Because here's what Paul talks about when he talks about the product of growth. What happens as a result of us living this out? Paul says in verse 15, after he says, no more grumbling and complaining, arguing, he says, so that, here's the reason, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. And he says, then, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So clear. Paul just said, this is why it matters. It's why it matters to him. It's why it matters to God. Because if you live like this, without arguing, without grumbling, you will be so different from every other person in the world. You will be a light in the midst of the darkness. And that's what Jesus has asked us to be. That's who Jesus was to the world. He, he didn't stand back away from the dark and broken world. He moved right into it. And he brought his light and his life and his help and his hope to the most broken of people. And this is what's so amazing to me is that Jesus actually liked the people that weren't anything like him. They didn't think like he thought. They didn't behave like he behaved. They probably didn't vote the way that he voted. But he moved toward them and he brought his light and he brought his life. And friends, that's what he asks us to do. You've heard him, if you've been around church, you've heard him in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about you are the light of the world. And he talks about you don't hide it. You don't hide your light. You shine your light in the world. But I think what Paul wants us to understand, if you want to cover up your light, all you have to do is grumble and argue. And the world will look and say, they don't have anything different from what the world has to offer. It seems like maybe a small thing. that Paul's just trying to nitpick about pieces of our character, but the implications to the mission of the church are, are immense. I think Paul would want us to know that if people reject us because of the life of Jesus and us representing that to them, that's on them. There's nothing that we can do about that. But if they reject Jesus because of our lives, because we didn't represent Jesus the way that Jesus lived his life. Friends, that's on us. And that's why this matters to Paul and why Paul would say, we want to be a proclaiming church, not a complaining church. Here's your assignment. Here's what I wanna ask you to do. 
want you to take some time throughout this week and just think back through your conversations that you have all along the week. And here's what I want you to evaluate. Where is your grumble meter? Where, where is that? I mean, probably the technical term is grumbleometer. Is that, is that, is that right? Where is it? What's coming out of your mouth? Out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. What's coming out of your mouth? And if you care about this, if it really matters to you, and you're a little bit brave, and you want to change, you know what you do? You ask people around you, what comes out of my mouth? Is there grumbling and arguing and complaining? And you don't even have to ask other followers of Jesus. You can ask your coworkers. You can ask your neighbors, anybody that has a a light into your life, that has a view into your life. Ask them, what is coming out of my mouth? The next thing that I want you to do is just what's your next step? If this is true, if what Paul says is true, that means that, Jesus has a renovation project that he wants to do in your particular life. Would you just take some time? And I I would encourage you to do this every day, to just say, Jesus, what is it that you want to do in my life today? What would be my next step to becoming more like you? And when that spirit, when the spirit of God brings a thought to your mind, write it down. And here's what I would do. I would say, tell someone, tell someone, It makes it more concrete when we actually say it out loud and it brings a sense of accountability to it. What is your next step? And see that as something that Jesus is asking you to do in his power, in his authority, in fear and trembling. Say, yes, Jesus, I'm gonna do whatever it is that you asked me to do. And for some of you, your next step right now might be stepping into a relationship with Jesus. When I talked earlier about that stepping across the line of faith and saying, Jesus, you're my king. You're my Lord. You're my ultimate authority in my life. Maybe you have never done that. You've never taken the opportunity to step into that kind of relationship, to invite the Holy Spirit to come into your life and help you walk out your faith. Don't wait. Let today be your day. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that you walk with us. Thank you that when you left, you said it was gonna be better that you go because you would send the counselor to be with us forever, your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we work out our salvation as you work in us. You live your life through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I pray that you'd give us courage to say yes to you, at every, at every turn, at every prompt, at every nudge, Jesus, we just want to say yes to you. And Holy Spirit, would you highlight in us when our heart is grumbling, when our heart is arguing, we want to represent you, Jesus, well to the world around us. Help us. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.